Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Like many others, our family was able to enjoy some of the great College World Series games here in Omaha in June. And we enjoyed them with what I consider some of the best seats in the house, right behind home plate. People ask me, how did you get such great seats? Well, my response is, I did absolutely nothing. I didn't work for them. I didn't earn them. I don't even deserve them. I just happened to have inherited them from my father. Because of my relationship with him, I'm able to enjoy these great benefits. That got me thinking of the fabulous benefits you and I have because of who our Father in heaven is. Things that we didn't earn, things we don't deserve, but blessings he's chosen to give us simply because we're his children. Do we understand all that we have in Christ? I'm Debbie Blank looking with you in the book of Ephesians today to see what we have and who we are in Christ. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Discovering your true identity seems to be one of the most compelling topics of the day. Of course, the media and culture are basically talking about things like gender identity, but knowing who you are has always been important, especially when it comes to the values that have shaped you. Good parents often send their children off into life with the admonition to remember who you are. But as Christians, knowing whose you are is the key to knowing who you are. When we belong to Christ, there's no more searching. We have found our identity in Him and our gifts and blessings as we grow in Him. Who we are becoming in Christ Jesus is the most important part of who we are. And in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we can find a description of many of the blessings which belong to us just because we belong to Him. Many of the things we're going to discuss today aren't new to us. We know them, or at least we've heard them before. But today we want to think about them. We want to apply them to our lives to see how important they are for us to know and understand and live by. So we want to first start with some background. The Apostle Paul spent three years in Ephesus. He shared the gospel. He discipled people. He built the church. Believe me, there was much pagan worship going on in that culture and in that city. As a matter of fact, their number one god was Artemis or Diana, of which they had one of the largest statues in the world, which is known as one of the seven wonders of the world. So they had to deal with a lot of paganism in that city. Perhaps that's why Paul spent three years there. But he found a great following, and he did spend much time encouraging them and growing them before he left. Here we are, six years later now, he's writing an epistle to them or a letter to them because he wants them to understand that while strange doctrines have crept in, they needed to remember and be encouraged about who they are in Christ. And we're the same way. Strange doctrines creep in every day. Jesus warned us numerous times in Matthew 24 that in the last days, we have to be careful not to be misled. So we need to understand the truth and who we are in Christ so that we aren't misled. 
Well, it's so important to know who we are in Christ because that is our identity. And I, I worry so much about these young people who are being challenged to struggle with their identity. And when you come to Christ, our identity is fixed in him. And we get to, instead of struggle, we get to discover and rediscover and grow in the things that we know about him, the things that we are promised in him. And we need to be taken off or away from those struggles that you just mentioned or the temptations of the world and instead focus on the joy and blessings that we have as God's children. So in the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul encourages these believers explaining their position in Christ. And then the second part of the epistle, he guides them through how to live for Christ based on our position with him because we must first be confident of who we are in order to live for him. So we're going to focus today only on chapter one, but we encourage you, our listeners, to read all six chapters, thinking about and asking God to show you who you are in Christ and how he would have you live for him. So with that, please join me in turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, where it begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time we see in Christ in this epistle is right here in verse 1. And by the way, we're looking at phrases like in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, things like that, so we can understand what we have with him. Here we're told that these believers in Ephesus are faithful in Christ. How does one become faithful? We become faithful by turning our lives over to Jesus Christ, putting our faith in him. Faith is not something that we just automatically have. It's something that we need to believe. It's a decision that we make to trust in something or someone. Consider an airplane. When you get on an airplane, you're putting your faith in the pilot and in the airplane itself, that it has been built properly and maintained properly so that you can get to the destination that you're going. Well, that's the same thing with Christ. We need to have a faith in him, knowing who he is, trusting who he is, so that we can walk in a relationship with him here on earth in order to spend eternity with him. It's a wonderful greeting because it's full of grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Father. Right away, it starts off with a blessing that we have through him. That's right. And it's only in Christ. We are only faithful in Christ. We only have that relationship with God the Father through Christ, in Christ. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, do we have that relationship? Many of us, if we were born into a Christian home, we call ourselves Christians But are we really? A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. Are we truly following him? Or are we CINOs, Christians in name only? A Christian being a follower of Christ is someone who makes a conscious decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of their life and then to follow him. Because if we don't do that, if we're not faithful in Christ, we don't have the things that we're going to be talking about in this passage. Now we go on in verse three to find out, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
That one really blows me away. Because all of us say, I wish I had this, or I wish I could do that. Well, we don't need to wish. You and I, by being children of God, have every spiritual blessing. Everything. Everything spiritual. Doesn't mean we have Porsches to drive or mansions to live in. These are spiritual blessings. What spiritual blessing would you like to have? Would you like to have joy? Joy is an attitude of our heart. It's not based on circumstances. Joy is a real contentment with life. In Jude chapter 1, there is only one chapter. Verse 24, it reads, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. It's through Christ. He's the one who gives us great joy. Can we have joy without Christ? We can have happiness, but not genuine joy. Jackie, what are some spiritual blessings that you might want or might enjoy in Jesus Christ? I was thinking just in that introduction where he talks about grace and peace. We get peace, but how many of us experience peace? We have access to peace through the Father. We have access to focusing on Him. The Holy Spirit is living within us, and so we have access to that. But how many of us take advantage of it? How many of us forget who we are in Christ? I think here Paul is reminding us of who we are now, because sometimes we revert back because we forget. So how important this passage is to remind us of peace. And peace in Hebrew has to do with being whole missing absolutely nothing but having everything that you need so that you can have that peace. So it's more than just a feeling of contentment. And we can see that in Philippians 4, 7. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't we all love to walk around in perfect peace in this world of turmoil? So that's a great spiritual blessing. I think of wisdom We oftentimes want wisdom to make the right decisions and to build our lives in a God-honoring way. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 5, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's one of those plethora of spiritual blessings that we have waiting for us if we will just appropriate them. So you could just focus on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, on those spiritual blessings and think about whatever it is that you want to have spiritually, and God gives them to us. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to happen right away because we wish for them. God's going to have to teach us and grow us, but we have them, so let's appropriate them. In verse 4, he goes on to say, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us. When I think of that, that I always think of playground experiences. When you're choosing teams and you're the first one to get chosen on a team, it makes you feel really good. Well, God has chosen us. He's adopted us as his children. To be chosen by God means that we're very special. And he gives us the ability to be holy and blameless. Now, I'm going to say after walking with him for several decades, I didn't think that was ever possible because I'm in the human flesh and I'm a sinner. But the closer I get with him, the more holiness he builds in me. 
And the more he builds in me a heart of blamelessness before him and before others. Now, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes still, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better because I'm drawing closer to him in his power and his ability because I'm a child. It's interesting that so early in this passage, Paul brings up that we're chosen. And I think especially in this day and age, too, I think people sometimes think they're a mistake or they're an accident. And quite the contrary, those of us who have been drawn to Christ have been chosen by God. And what a wonderful thing that is to know. It is, and it continues in verse 4 at the very end by starting the next thought, which is, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. I want to start out with that very first phrase, in love. Who doesn't want or need to be loved? I met with someone this week who says that from the time she was five years old, she has never experienced love. Not from her parents, not from a husband, not from anyone close to her. And I hurt so badly for her because we're told in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. And she has a spiritual heart and hunger in her life but not for God. It's just a spiritual hunger for no particular purpose. If she would know the God of the Bible, she would know love. God is love, and we can understand that by knowing God. As a matter of fact, we're told in 1 John 4 that we can love only because God first loved us. We need to know God's love in order to understand true love, not emotional love or sexual love or some kind of love that we make up as a fantasy, but genuine, true love. And we all want it and we all need it. God told us in John three sixteen that he so loves us that he gave of himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting love life. That's God's love. It's giving to us. And he says right here, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Do you know at the time that this was written, when the Romans controlled the world, adoption in the Roman Empire is different than it is in our culture today. Now, it is a decision that people make to bring someone into their family. Once they adopted someone into their family, that child could never be disowned. They could disown their physical children, but not any adopted children. They had more privileges in the family than the biological children did. So that tells us that we're adopted into God's family. He can't ever leave us or forsake us. He doesn't want to in the first place, but because we're adopted into his family, according to Romans 8:15, we can call the God of the universe, our Abba, Father. How tender is that? How do we see his love through that? We do because he is full of love and he's poured out that love into each one of us. It always impresses me to think about the verse that says that God reached out to us while we were yet sinners. That kind of love, totally unselfish, totally committed to someone who might not deserve, probably didn't, none of us deserved his love, and yet we get it. So thinking that we're undeserving, that doesn't even factor in with God. He loves us. He reaches out to us through Jesus Christ. When you were talking about the spiritual giftings, and I think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and how love was the very first one that was listed. So it's very important, and God wants you to feel that love. 
And as you said, it feels so good to know that no matter what we do, he loves us. He's merciful. He's kind because we're sinners. And I feel ashamed whenever I do anything wrong. But he loves me enough to cover that shame in Jesus Christ when I confess it to him. I tell you, that's another verse we could just hang on to because that focus in love that comes in Jesus Christ is what we have. So if you've ever wanted to feel truly loved, build that relationship with God because he truly loves each and every one of us. And by the way, let me stop here. From verse 3 all the way through to verse 14 was one complete thought in the Greek. There weren't any periods. They didn't stop. So some of these verses seem to start in the middle of a thought, and that's because this is one really long sentence. Verse 6, it reads, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Well, in the beloved is in Jesus. God's glory, the praise of his glory of his grace was freely given to us. What is grace? As a matter of fact, the next several verses talks about grace. It's charis in the Greek, which is unmerited favor. You and I do nothing to deserve God pouring out his blessings on us. But because of our unmerited favor and his love, he pours it out. In John 1, 14, we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among him. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All the unmerited favor we have is because of Christ's grace, his grace that he poured out on the cross. So if you want to experience grace, which is being treated in a way that we don't deserve to be treated, that's what we have in Jesus Christ. He gives that to us. He will turn to you in a way that you need when you turn to him through his grace. Get kind of stuck on that phrase, glory of his grace. That just means that his grace is wonderful. It's glorious. It's fabulous. It's part of what his glory is all about is the fact that he reached down to us with unmerited favor. It's so encouraging to read these and see who I am in Christ, because this isn't just hope that I have here. This is truth because Jesus is grace and truth. And I can stand on these promises and I can go to my father with these promises. And so in verse seven, he tells us in him, that's in Christ again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgivenesses of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. There again, we see the riches of his grace because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans three twenty three. That means all of us, none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve eternity with God. But by Christ's grace, through his redemption, and redemption means he has redeemed us. He has paid the price for our sin. And his grace then gives us that freedom of redemption. And not only that, it tells us the redemption, the pain, the price came through his blood. That's his death on the cross that he died for our sins because of his grace. I think of Ephesians 2. Where in verse 8 it says, By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. So therein is God's grace that we're saved. 
Why? Because in him, in verse 7, we've been redeemed by his blood on the cross. That is the greatest gift you and I can ever receive. The richness of his grace is demonstrated in the richness of Christ's sacrifice. When you go on, it says that he lavished this upon us. Lavish is such a rich word, and it implies extravagance and superabundance. And that's what God gives to us in his grace. You mentioned verse 8 there. It also tells us in verse 8 of Ephesians 1 that in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Who doesn't want to know the will of God? Here it tells us he makes it known to you and I. I could give you example after example where I have sought God's will in an understanding that I didn't have, and he gave it to me. I was amazed at how perfect his insight was in sharing his will with me, and we all want that. And then jumping down to verse 11 or the end of verse 10, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works in us all things after the counsel of his will. In Christ Jesus, you and I have an inheritance. What is the inheritance? It's heaven. It's knowing that we have a place that we will go after we leave this earth. It's a place an inheritance that's only possible in him. And not only that, but it's according to the kind intention of God's will again. How wonderful is that, the hope of knowing that after we leave this earth, we will not only be with Jesus, but we will spend eternity in heaven with him. And it's that hope that we have in the inheritance that allows us to keep moving and functioning and walking with and loving and living for Jesus Christ here on earth. We talked about being promised an inheritance, a glorious inheritance, but we're not just promised the way the world promises things. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's our guarantee of those promises. It is, and we're told that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It starts out by saying, in him, in Christ, only in Christ. There's no other way we can have this. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So it all starts in Christ and then listening to the gospel of the truth, which is Jesus Christ dying for our sins and then being raised from the dead to conquer death. That's the gospel message according to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. So that we start with Christ and then we listen to the message of truth. And once we listen, it says, having also believed. So just listening and just knowing with your head or with head knowledge isn't enough. We need to believe. And believe in the Greek, the word pistis means to appropriate, to commit our lives to Jesus Christ, to make him Lord of our lives. It goes on to say, once we have Christ, once we believe in him and the gospel message, we truly commit our lives to him. It says you were sealed in him. Again, it's in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Those are two very important verses because that tells us whether we are truly saved with a relationship with Jesus Christ or if we're just walking in the world calling ourselves Christians. How do you get truly saved? Through Christ, 
listening to the gospel message, believing the gospel message, committing your life to Christ. And once we do, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. At the Old Testament times, when something was sealed, the king or leader took their signet ring and sealed it in wax. And the only person that could open that document was the person who sealed it. In this case, we are sealed by God through his Holy Spirit. That means nobody can take that away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old thing has passed away. All things have become new. Well, if all things have become new, God's not going to take that away and put us back in the past and give us the old again. And then we're told in John 6, 37 to 39, no one can snatch us out of his hands. What an encouragement that is, that the inheritance that we have with God is assured, not because of anything that we have done, but strictly in Christ because of our faith in believing in Jesus Christ, committing our lives to him. That's so important to know, because otherwise we are running around in this world thinking, oh, did I do something to offend God so he won't save me? No, that doesn't happen. Do we do something that offends God? Sure, all the time. That's why he gives us the provision in 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Once we do that, we're back in fellowship with him here on this earth. But the sins we commit after we're saved have already been covered by the blood of Christ on the cross at the moment that we received him as our Lord. It's the blood of Christ, his redemption that he gave for us that opens the gates to heaven for us. God doesn't look at us in the human form we are. He looks at us through the blood of Christ, which means he sees us redeemed if we've committed our lives to Christ. Some people think, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's my savior. And once saved, always saved. So I can pretty much do what I want here on this earth. Yes, we are still saved no matter what we do, but we'll miss out on all these blessings if we walk in sin, if we don't walk in forgiveness of Jesus Christ, which you're told in verse seven, he forgives us, but we need to ask for forgiveness with true, genuine repentance in our hearts. Then we can have an open relationship with God and all these blessings that we've mentioned and that we haven't mentioned are ours. We have the inheritance promised to us on earth as well as in heaven. If we will just be faithful, as we're told in verse one, if we will just truly turn to God. So let me ask you, if your father was a billionaire and you inherited all of his wealth and his homes and his business and his cars and boats and everything he has, would you give it all up and go live on the streets? That would certainly not be a wise decision. In my case, as I mentioned earlier, would I let all those great College World Series seats sit empty because I just didn't want to use them? No. If I didn't use them, I'd want somebody else to use them. Well, in the case of my relationship with Christ, I can't transfer them to anybody else. That's something that only we can have with God. Sometimes we walk around in ignorance, not knowing what we have and who we have in Christ. It's important for us to know him and to know his word so that we can appropriate all of his blessings and all of his glory because that's what he wants for us 
And quite frankly, that's what we should want. In this crazy world, who doesn't want spiritual blessings? So we have to ask ourselves, are we going to appropriate God's blessings or are we going to disregard them and struggle through life by our own power? When you truly know and understand who Christ is in you and what each of us have in Christ, we will find the greatest peace and joy and contentment by accepting and using his blessings. Will you do that today? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.